Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits Mitrap Podcast. So what have you been up to this weekend, Mike? Chris, I've had a great getaway. I was on vacation in eastern Tennessee. You ever been out to the Gatlinburg area? It's at the Great Smoky Mountains. I have. It's a very nice area. Yeah, we got a cabin. We could do the work from home thing because they had nice Wi-Fi. So we thought spend a week out that way. It was uh, it was relaxing. A little staycation, huh? Yes, indeed. How about you? What are you up to? Um, just working, working. It's actually a really nice weekend up here in Ithaca. So seventies supposed to be seventies for the next couple of days. Maybe nice. might go might go golfing. My uh, my golf my um the golf course opened up again briefly. So, might try to get one in. Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but I uh, I saw on your Instagram, and uh, well, someone tagged us in Instagram, that you visited someone in Staunton, Virginia. Yes. Got to meet a follower, one of our earlier followers, Sandy. She is the owner of the Book Dragon Shop, a beautiful, cute, little independent veteran-owned bookstore in downtown Staunton, Virginia. So it was a real pleasure to meet her. Took a picture out front of the shop, of course, holding Vince Flynn. Uh, Well, Kyle Mills, I held up total power. But uh, it was really nice. So I I recommend if you're passing through the Shenandoah region, uh, stop in Staunton, visit her awesome bookstore. It's veteran-owned business. And you can even check out her website. Just search The Book Dragon Shop. You could buy online or over the phone. And it's great to support independent local bookstores. So it was it was a real pleasure to meet Sandy. Yeah, that was great. I love I love seeing that that photo. I, I I've been to Staunton, but I haven't been to that bookstore. So I, next time I'm down there, I gotta check that out. Gotcha. Yeah. So speaking of Twitter, because you you mentioned you you saw this on our social media media, I was reading Executive Power, and there were two characters that popped up, and I was just loving the throwback. So Skip McMahon plays a bit of a role and Jack Warch comes up I think twice in the book so I'm just thinking hey these guys were awesome I would love to know more about them so I posted a question you know a way to kind of step away from the crazy pandemic election going on I, I, I like know, that one I saw that, that. yeah <laughs> but um yeah so I, I asked the, the listeners out there if you could have a standalone spin-off novel about any secondary character from the series who are you going with and we got we got quite a few responses. Which what was the most um, most popular? The most common. It's probably a tie. Scott Coleman had a big following, of course, but there was also a strand of people who really wanted to see a Hurley early days of Stan Hurley and Thomas Stansfield. So kind of that early Cold War uh, narrative, and I think both of those would be great great choices. Sign me up. I want to see it. I want to read it. Right. Well, speaking of that, we are going to talk more about that question of who we'd want to see in a spinoff rap novel and which character we'd want more backstory on in our new Rap on Rap series. So if you want to hear a short breakdown uh, of the results from that question on Twitter and our personal choices about who we would want to see a spinoff standalone book and what kind of storylines we might anticipate in in something like that, become a patron. We are going to be posting our first patron-only episode, a little special bonus, 
where we uh, break down and talk about that exact question. So if you want to hear that, then visit MitchRapPod.com and click the orange support us on Patreon button to get involved. Nice. Speaking of patrons, uh, we have a November book giveaway. So this month we are still doing the choose your own. So make sure if you want to get into that November book giveaway, we'll be doing it in a couple episodes. So uh, if you sign up now, you can be entered in our November book giveaway. Again, you know, all of this month and December are going to be going to the Prostate Cancer Foundation. Hopefully you guys had a chance to listen to our interview um, with a representative from the PCF. Um, You didn't go check that out. Um, And then we have another special announcement coming in December for our patrons. Um, But We'll leave a little suspense and table that for another time. All right. That's exciting. Well, Chris, besides that, tell us what we are covering today on the podcast. All right. So excited to talk to you today um, about executive power. Uh, So let's just kick it off how we always do, give you the Goodreads breakdown and summary. So executive power on Goodreads has a a 4.3, which is pretty standard for Vince Flynn, Mitch Rapp books, not not super high, not, not... significantly low a decent amount of uh reviews and the summary goes like this so cia super agent mitch rapp battles global terrorism in a high octane follow-up to the new york times best-selling separation of power as a special advisor on the counterterrorism uh, unit to cia director irene kennedy rapp is ready to fight the war on terrorism from cia headquarters rather than the front line that is, until a platoon of Navy SEALs sent to the Philippines to save an American family kidnapped by radical Islamic terrorists is caught in a deadly ambush. The mission had been top secret, so who told the enemy? All evidence points to the State Department and the Philippine, em, and the Philippine Embassy, but a greater threat still lurks. An unknown assassin working closely with the highest powers in, Middle East, in the Middle East is bent on igniting war. Now with the world watching his every move, Will Rap be able to overcome this anonymous foe and once again keep the flames of war from raging? All right, not bad. Not bad. Gives it's a pretty, pretty in uh, depth. Yeah. yeah, that's a very in depth uh, uh, summary. Um, I, but yeah, I wonder where Goodreads gets these because some of them are really quick, a couple of sentences, and then some go really deep into the plot with all the nitty gritty, like that one. Yeah, I wonder if like it's if it submitted by peer review or. And then they choose like ones that are good. I don't know, or if, or from or if maybe like, the publisher. It's probably from the publisher, or like it's on the back of book, you know, book covers or yeah, whatever. Could be the dust jacket. Yeah, but then they would all be about the same length if they do that consistently. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, no, that was pretty. Good. Well, you, not too bad. Well, you know, we always pick themes to dig into, and a couple of things really stand out in this book. So we have these two dueling plot lines going back and forth. One takes place in the Philippines and another one in the uh, heart of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And the power of relationships is going to be our theme because we see individual characters meeting up throughout the book and everything that happens really hinges on personal relationships between the characters. Now, some of those relationships are based on irresponsibility and mistrust, uh, and they do inhibit you know progress from being made. And then other relationships are the reason that the plot works out as it does. You know, and some storylines will wrap up nicely or progress in a positive way. So, you know, 
all the characters are committed to their cause and really hardliners for what they believe in. You know, we meet somebody who cares just about as much for his cause and Palestinian statehood as much as Rap does for defending and protecting America. And so even the two main characters never have a personal relationship in the book seeing each other, but they are connected by this drive for um, the a cause in their own minds. So throughout the book, we're just going to be referencing a lot of these one-on-one conversations between characters and how they play a major role. Yeah, I like that. And so the the first half of this book, from the prelude to chapter 20, really is centered around two main storylines, like like you said, Mike, um, with, you know, peppered a, a little bit of um, some other things that are, you know, thrown in to add, round out the story. So what I thought would be easier instead of going back and forth, back and forth, like the book does, we'll, you know, talk about one and then the other and, and all the while bringing up those uh, relationship notes that you just mentioned. Yep. So obviously the main one um, and I, the storyline I, I think I like better from this first half is the whole, the Anderson family and everything that happens in the Philippines. Yep. Um, we kick off the book right away with, uh, you know, Navy SEALs coming in, um, approaching the island, and this mission, you know, should be easy, snatch and grab, get them, get in, get out, and quickly we realize, you know, something, something's up, because that mission does not, does not go as planned. And actually, two, yeah. two Navy SEALs die, and the other two are severely injured. Um, so, how, how did you, what did you think of, like, this course sort of cold opening this time, where instead of seeing rap seeing someone else we got we we got a you know right thrown right into the action with um the navy seals i loved i mean you could call it a cold opening because it's coming right you know out of nowhere dropping you in the story but it was hot you know it was hot we had (laughs) we had this uh, group of seals on they mentioned i think it was called the mark five a very cutting edge you know uh, stealthy way to land on the beach and they've already scouted out and they're ready to approach from the beach to the jungle um, and they believe it's entirely clear. It's We're in eastern Philippines on Dinagat Island. No idea if I'm saying that right. But they know – they have intel. This is where the Anderson family is being held. However, they, they land and they're immediately ambushed. And you mentioned a cliffhanger. The prelude drops us into the action but then leaves us um, wondering why the heck did that mission go south and two seals are dead and you know pulled out of the surf back onto the boats to be extracted. Well, here's a little overview. Um, it's very Flinian, uh, very Flinian, and you'll catch why in this quote that we get from the prelude. Quote, the boat was in violation of international law and at least one treaty, but the men on board didn't care. Technicalities, legalities, and diplomacy were for other people to sort out. People who sat in comfortable leather chairs with Ivy League degrees matted and framed on their office walls. The men standing on the deck of the Mark V special operations craft we're here to get a job done. And in their minds, it was a job that should have been taken care of months ago. They eagerly looked forward to carrying out their mission. Unfortunately, they were unaware that thousands of miles away, they'd already been fatally compromised by someone from their own country. Yeah, it's a nice it's it's a nice uh, cliffhanger. This book has a lot of good uh, one-liners to end chapters. Uh, as I was reading yeah. this, I, I noticed that... Um, you know, the writing technique in, in that way was, was really crisp. Now, one thing I liked about this chapter and then, you know, in chapter two, when we actually see the ambush is, you know, again, where Vince really 
Schmidt and Kyle as well really shine in the description of operation, operational specs, um, talking about um, the machinery, the you mentioned the Mark V, uh, talking about the boats, talking about the guns. Like this, I, I love reading that stuff, and it's not like too heavily detailed, but it's it's it is detailed. You know, it's not so detailed that you you get bogged down by it. You know. Yeah, I agree. And there was also payoff because part of going into that detail was to explain how this uh, unit is so well rounded. They have the capability of a bunch of missions. Right? They can land on the beach. Um, they've got people. Uh, I think they, I don't know, it's not exactly an aircraft carrier, but they have something to launch um, helicopters from so that they could be in the sky over the island if they need to be. And then they also have um, enough people on board to run all the the intel and mission ops that they need. So I like how, and I forget what it was called exactly, but Vince is setting up that this unit, if they need to go deeper because something goes wrong in this mission... If they need to make another move, it's not a simple snatch and grab with a small group of SEALs boarding a beach. If they need to actually have a whole operation fleshed out to stay in this place without backup, right? Without calling in another unit, you know, hours away, you know, in the ocean, Vince is kind of saying they're ready to do that. And well, guess what? They're going to need to do that. Yeah, exactly. So the payoff is there too. So right after this, um, we meet. We're then brought back to our player, Mitch Rapp, and off book, he's gotten married. So we get that whole yes. description of, uh, you know, they were supposed to have this big wedding, and then they realized that that was not going to be the case. So they get a private ceremony at the White House with, you know, a small amount of people. You know, this is not only, I don't think, I don't see Mitch as having a wedding with 300 people in a normal a normal church uh that's not the kind of guy but also it's you know operational security so that way people his cover's been blown and so it wouldn't be good to have anna be posted up and say oh i'm now you know married to this guy who's probably on a lot of and they even mentioned that he's now on a lot of hit lists because of he's been outed so yep another part of operational security is anna doesn't take his name and they were both kind of okay with it and she wasn't sure if Ra- if Mitch would be okay with it, but of course, for operational sake, he's entirely fine with that and prefers it that way. So she's going to stay, Anna, really, as she does her <laughs> journalism work at the White House. You say really, so I'm. I always read it as Riley. I think we've talked about this before, but like this is this. I listened to the audiobook for this one, and George. This is the first George Goodell audiobook, and I he definitely says really. Most times, but sometimes he says Riley, and I, I Does maybe he? just maybe it's just the way he's reading it, um, or maybe I hear it Riley. I don't know. Well, so I started saying really because one, it's the spelling that Vince chose, but that's how Nick Sullivan said it in Transfer Power. So that was like the first audio book, first Mitch Rap book. Um, it stuck right. with me as really, and I know, like you said, Kyle changed it. He does. Um, he said it always bothered him having the the I before the E. And just always thought it should be Riley. Thought Vince wanted it to be Riley. Maybe his dyslexia was, you know, involved there. And so Kyle did say, so it doesn't bother him anymore. He made it really or Riley, R E I L L Y. So, did you you noticed uh, he does the same thing with Ben Friedman, who or Friedman? George Goodell says Friedman, and the I guess a traditional Jewish name would be Friedman, but it's spelled yeah. Friedman. 
It's definitely pronounced Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. But the spelling Vince put in the book is E-I-D, so F-R-E-I-D. So probably meant Friedman, but again, playing with that I and the E, I wonder if that's common, you know, with someone with dyslexia to have those two letters in particular um, out of order. I don't know. We're picking nits here, but I don't know. It just bothers me sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, this, uh, this scene we get with the honeymoon... Um, yes, this is going to be the the groundwork for you know what is the main part of the second part of this book, and we'll talk more about in our next pod. But you know, now they're married, and I guess this was also the, it's, this is just going to be the same contention that we have between the two of them. And he even says in this chapter that he's going to have to offer up information. He's going to have to yeah. meet her, you know, to sort of make a compromise. But in the end, he doesn't always follow what he says because, you know, at the very end, we're going to see that he he lied to Anna, that he yeah. puts himself into harm's way. Um, and, and that just causes, you know, term, you know, turmoil between their in, in their relationship. And, you know, that's our theme is relationships and separation of power. We had a whole lot of that in terms of Mitch and Anna and Donatella. But a new relationship will blossom here. Irene and Anna. So yeah, I know you nice said we'll mention, interact. yeah, you said we'll mention a little later on, which is true. But early on, Irene is getting intel of why the Philippine um, hostage rescue attempt went south. And it turns out there's a leak at the State Department. And so she's pretty confident that I think it was like Amanda Petrie or somebody, um, deputy, was she deputy secretary or the secretary of state? Someone high up in state. And uh, turns out there was a leak. She had loose lips and spoke to someone in the Filipino government. Uh, I think it was uh, the president. And his office then got in touch with a bunch of generals, you know, to inform them about, hey, the Americans are going to be involved in a mission. And um, that that led to the mission being compromised and one corrupt general, as we'll see later on. But anyway, Irene is contemplating, do I pull Mitch out of his honeymoon? Right. And she decides here to slow her roll. Um, she doesn't want to directly pull him from the honeymoon. She knows how upset that would make both him, but also Anna. And she knows Mitch has to be in a good place with his personal life to really excel at his job. And later on in the book, Irene is going to be masterful in making sure she can build a relationship with Anna, you know, a little bit of tough love at first, but Irene and Anna's relationship is going to end up being one of those key relationships to keep Mitch able to do his job. So, you know, she doesn't decide to bring him back, but, you know, he, their honeymoon ends and they come back and Rab is livid. He finds out yep. about how the the mission has been comp- compromised and he really, we get this nice in-depth, there's a lot of internal monologue with Rap in this book that yep. I like where, you know, he goes off on how the CIA has changed from its origins and how, you know, this is not how Wild Bill Donovan would have wanted the CIA to work. It's just a bunch of, you know, bureaucrats who are trying to get a pension uh and you know he also brings up you know this is what stansfield why we created the orion team in order to combat this um and i think he's also you know sort of lamenting this whole idea of he now his cover's blown so he has to work at a desk you know have a desk job uh um but he's just in i I like this one point where he he mentions he's very disappointed that the agency is afraid to take risks um, he's not afraid to take risks, but the agency as a whole has let him down. Exactly. And that 
is indicative of the next relationship I want to talk about is Rap and Valerie Jones, who has come up in the past. Yes. She was she was the chief of staff in the bunker with President Hayes during transfer power, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And and she didn't play that big a role. Um she did she kind of had many freakouts in the bunker and Hayes had to calm her down, but she was relatively rational. Um there's a transformation here. She becomes this almost she's Stu a Garrett-esque. <laughs> she's very much a Stu Garrett side of her comes out here. She's this pest. Not so much a, of a piece of shit, but like just, you know, this whole bureaucrat. The only thing I'm worried about is how the president's going to look. Not actually about the fact that two American SEALs got killed in, in this yeah. botched mission. That And I love when General Flood goes off and calls like the two people in the State Department traitors and that they should be, yep. you know... He wants some shot. Yeah, he wants some shot. But put in front of a firing squad, right? So yeah, I can't believe the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs says that in the, in the uh, Oval Office. I like Flood. I, I would love to see just you know I don't know, like a not Jag, but like some sort of Navy spinoff yeah. with 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 Flood. Well, imagine if we do get one of those stories—the backstory of Hurley and <clears throat> Stansfield. Can you imagine a reference made to General Flood in his up and coming career, you know, in the military? He's like a young guy. And in some way, he, his cross, his path crosses with a, a young Stansfield or Hurley. I thought that'd be super cool. Yeah, that would but, be cool. Yeah. But back to Valerie Jones. So she's playing the political game. All she really cares. Well, actually, I'll give you Vince's words. Um, Vince calls her, quote, a pushy and obnoxious political operative. If she were a man, she would be referred to as a tough bastard or a prick. But since she wore a skirt to work, she was simply called a bitch. I love that. I, mean, I love that line. <laughs> I mean, as much as that's an outdated line that who knows if you can get away with it today, he's onto something, right? Like Flynn is onto this was the actual, you know, um, workspace, you know, was this book written 15 plus years ago now? 2000, was it 2004? Yeah, 2004. I think. Um, Memorial Day is 2005, which is the next book. Yeah. Before. So you can just no, see that. I mean, this is still sort of this is still sort of uh, seen in today's workplace where men can Absolutely. be men can act you know some way, and it's just like oh he's a tough guy or oh he he gets what he wants. But if if a woman acts that way, then oh they're just you know some yeah. mean bitch you know. Exactly. But she does end up going crossing a line when she really gets face to face with rap and rap is basically saying we have to do the right thing we have to get rid of traitors who killed our service members who killed two seals directly because of their loose lips and playing this fake diplomacy game and she is pushing back saying diplomacy comes first political spin comes first she doesn't want a political crisis where state department looks like they they did something wrong that they're at fault she doesn't want the administration to be blamed uh, for this mission going south and that's not going to work for rap right like no rap she's, needs to act on this intel she's more worried about the idea that uh the cia was spying on the state department and that in order that they got the information yeah. then she was about the fact that yeah. the information got out you know yeah she's like how'd you get this and she wants to grill irene and of course irene's going to give her nothing and say we have our means but she's all concerned about in rap's mind the wrong thing like rap's only concern is revenge for these two dead seals and revenge on the leakers and she's just concerned about the political fallout so another one of those relationships it's not a positive one but the fact that hayes has both uh viewpoints is so important right 
like in a cabinet, you do need somebody who's going to warn you about the political fallout and think three steps ahead about your poll numbers, right? Politics. Hayes is president, right? Politics is one of the main components. But Rapp is also right that defense, protecting the homeland, and acting on intelligence has to come first. So I'm kind of glad that Hayes has both of these perspectives in his his cabinet relationships. Yeah, and she's a key character to illustrate um, irresponsibility and distrust. You know, Mitch yep. is, is very distrustful of her, so is General Flood. And she, frankly, I think she acts irresponsible. But, you know, I would you are right that you do need someone like that to sort of, you know, calm you down. And she even mentions that she'll get the president when she has her on her own. And then Irene has the same, the same like thought, oh, let me get the president mm-hmm. alone. Um, yep, yep. So, of course, Irene's going to win that game every time, though. I mean, just look at this uh, quote. I love this because think of what we just said about Valerie Jones. And now Kennedy, who's in the meeting, not really speaking up, kind of letting rap butt heads with her. But here's Kennedy's uh, thought process here. Vince writes, quote, common sense dictated that the less one talked, the more likely it was one would learn secrets rather than give them away. He also liked to say the outcome of a meeting is often decided before a single word is spoken. It is decided by who is asked to attend. That was exactly what Kennedy had in mind when she invited Jones. So Kennedy is kind of playing this game of knowing the president's going to listen to rap. If Jones is at the meeting, she's going to run her mouth off and kind of shoot herself in the foot. And in the president's mind, she knows rap is going to be listened to. Giving rap the chance in front of the president to call her out. You know, something she wouldn't do, something nobody else would really do, but uh, inviting her to the meeting to let that happen um, and inviting rap there is more important than speaking up at the meeting and being loud. So, yep. Yeah. So much so that, you know, rap walks out on the meeting. And so that sends a message to the the president and the president actually gets to see the fact that, you know, Valerie is acting, you know, this her mode is not the right mode to go down. Yep. Yep. Rap has a plan, though. He is thinking this through, and he knows what has to get done in the Philippines, and they know that there's a general, General Moro, who was the one the information trickled down to that the Americans were attempting a hostage rescue. Well, General Moro is also the one who has been largely saying, we almost got the terrorists, right? So Vince does a good job researching Abu Sayyaf who is a Islamic radicalized fundamentalist group operating out of Southwest Philippines. And they have quite a history, and they're pretty entrenched there. I actually looked into this a little bit. There's an autonomous region where Abu Sayyaf's stronghold is in Southwest Philippines that, due to a conflict that got pretty brutal over the last 50 years or so, they actually have negotiated with the Filipino government for an autonomous region. And it's named Moro. Interesting. So, so Rap is naming this character after a, a very historical region that has been um, more cooperative to the Islamic fundamentalists. And I thought that was unique. And then Rap later on, part of his plan is working with another honorable Filipino general, General Rizal. And that's a famous name in Filipino history. He's actually there. He's actually an, a huge icon, uh, Jose Rizal, a real general uh, who was um, a revolutionary who fought for Filipino independence from the Spanish in right. the late 19th century. So Vince has given us these two names setting up this conflict 
of different elements that are really involved in the Filipino army. Of course, they wouldn't have these exact names, but the names are a nod to the divisions in the country. So I thought that was interesting. No, that is. So, as you mentioned, Rap has a plan, and he's now flying to the Philippines. Um, and who is he accompanied by but none other than our, our blonde-haired assassin? And you mentioned him earlier, another um, from the same term limits, we see Skip McMahon again. Uh, Skip. F- our favorite FBI uh, counterterror. I guess he's a counterterrorism person. Um, investigator. but Special agent. I liked, yes, special agent. And I like the interchange between him and, and Rap on the airplane and how he's like, oh, who's Moro? And yep. Rap's like contemplating, uh, you know, you don't ask. And, you, you know, he's a part of the Justice Department, you know, like Rap just can't be like, oh, I'm going to go over yep. here to fucking kill General Moro. Uh, when they but, already know there's a leak in state, right. but he already knows there's leaks coming out. But McMahon knows he's no idiot. Like, they're not going to send mitch rap over there just for you know diplomacy so yeah. he, he wants it straight and as soon as uh he tells mcmahon you know sort of the parameters of the mission and the fact that there was this leak you know mcmahon gets the hint that all right we need to sounds good leave me out of yep. it <laughs> yep i love that scene though you're right because rap trusts mcmahon because a lot of this book is rap we're not telling anything to state we're not telling anything to the fbi we're not telling anyone to anyone at justice. He's really pissed off about this leak so much so that he wants this mission, him, Irene, and very few others to know about it. And um, he tells McMahon. There's a whole scene where he's right. like, I'm going to trust him enough. He doesn't tell him all of it, but he gives him enough that he wouldn't give to anybody else. Like he would right. never open up to uh, just a random agent or special agent assigned to liaise with him on the mission he would never let him in like that and mcmahon once he paints the lines mcmahon can fill him in you know the rest of the way yep so yep also in the you know how vincent and kyle both do because these books can sort of be read out of order we get a little nod to term limits and how scott and mcmahon knew each other because of some you know quick nefarious things that i think vince has you know got sorted out but as i'm reading that i was thinking back to term limits and i was like oh that's nice yep I like that nod. Was Skip there on the beach when Stansfield cut the deal at the end of term limits with Coleman? Yeah, it was. I don't know if he was. Well, he was he was involved in it the whole way. Yeah, he was involved in the whole way. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Another interesting thing, as I mentioned, uh, we get a lot of internal monologue with Minch in this, like right before talking to Vince. We get this interesting quote where he admits that I'll just read it here when he stripped away everything, when he stripped everything away and forced himself to be brutally honest, he was left with the undeniable fact that he enjoyed killing men like general Mora. Um, and like he, he mentions that he had never discussed this with anyone, not even Kennedy. Um, and I thought this was an interesting quote because as I'm reading it, and I think we've talked about it before, Mitch is not, that emotional like with in terms of his killing and I, I don't see him as that kind of way and this is sort of the first insight we get to this idea and mind you general moro is a, is a very bad dude and i am fully agree with you know that he should be taken out but i just never saw mitch as being this kind of person that in, actually enjoyed the the yeah. fact that he was killing people you know and killing people like general moro yeah 
that stuck out to me as well because the setup in a few paragraphs right before that was your typical stuff, right? The majority of Americans didn't don't actually want to know what I'm up to. You know, the majority of Americans don't understand how ugly war can be and the gruesome details. You know, somebody out there has to do what I'm doing. Someone has to take care of the dirty work that the politicians and the American public would never come out and say they're in favor of. So it's kind of like the same old shtick of, you know, rap is being rap. He's going to do what he's got to do. And then he comes out with this line of he actually enjoyed killing men like Moro. And that also struck me as we haven't seen that side of rap. We know he's very good at killing. We know he's often torn about how much he tells to, you know, now his spouse and other people. He's very closed off. You know, he'll keep to himself. But now we're getting that internal monologue of he actually is enjoying when he's killing these people. So, yeah, it's kind of yeah, a development in rap psyche. I've always seen him. He's very passionate about what he does. And, and mind you, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I always envisioned that he enjoyed, you know, being what he did. But this was just a new layer that I wasn't expecting. Yep. And, you know, just peel, peeling back the ever the onion that is Mitch Rap, you know. I'm with you. Yep. You know what, though, speaking of getting inside of Rap's head here, there are a couple of Coleman chapters, entire chapters where we're with Coleman in the jungle. So he drops in with his team and I believe he brings along, you know, um, Hackett and Strobel, right? The two uh, the two other people in his company, you know, the underwater mm-hmm. demolition seal company that that he created. And then they also invite Wicker, Charlie Wicker along. So Having him as a sniper is going to play a key role in the mission. Who's still but active so group, duty. He was still active duty. They even talk about how he's not fully part of Coleman's company. They actually poached him you know, while he's still serving to, to have his specialties. Another specialty we see with him, as they're all moving through the jungle, he has this really heightened and keen sense of sound. Um, Coleman is really relying on him to know what's up ahead, to be the lead person as they move. And a couple of times, Wick stops them and says, people, you know, six o'clock, you know, 30 feet back behind us or whatever. He can pick up on everything. And so I love the scene of they're moving through the jungle. Um, Coleman is, is lagging behind. He's obviously a little older, right? Um, and he's bulkier, where Wicker is pretty small and nimble. He's climbing up like hills in the mountains. It's starting to rain. They're talking about nonstop rain. Um, but once they get there, Wicker hears two people and Coleman's like, what, what are you talking about? There's no one here. Well, eventually they get eyes on with the night vision goggles that there are these two Filipino soldiers and they're scouting out a path because behind them approaching is another person who they identify as someone higher up. So someone higher up with a higher rank. They're like, something's going on here. We had no intel of anybody in this area connected to um, Abu Sayyaf and they recognize that these are terrorist commando uh, commandos and then they see something very out of character children and adults I think with reddish hair so white red hair. Oh, a family yeah. of white people with red hair and immediately they look at each other and they're like those are the that's the Andersons the hostages which they are not there to rescue they are there to take out General Moro and now they kind of stumble upon the Andersons, this broader plot of saving them. I think even like a paragraph before that, uh, Scott even says, oh, man, I wish I could do more for the for the Andersons. But <laughs> yeah. you know, hopefully by taking out Moro, you know, we're one step closer to getting there. And then, boom, they yep. literally walk right across their, their path. Yep. 
because they they've been saying it should be relatively easy because a lot of the Filipino army is trained by America mm-hmm. and they really think you guys have the equipment, you have the training, you should be able to wipe out these gorillas, you know, hiding in the jungle pretty easily. We taught you that. And they're trying to figure out why they haven't done it. And it's General Morrow. So by killing General Morrow, you are going to allow the Filipino army to be take a harder stance because he's been taking bribes. Right. He's been cutting deals with Abu Sayyaf to kind of leave them alone and always report back, oh, we almost had them. They just barely escaped. And like two or three times the terrorists escape General Morrow's grip. Well, now the CIA knows it's been on purpose. So Coleman wants to to do more, but by killing the general, they'd also be doing a lot. But he's also torn because he doesn't know what to do. And yes. he notes that SEALs are trained to think on the fly. Like, it's not just one thing to be a SEAL, to be a highly advanced soldier, but to have intellect. And one of the things that comes with that intellect is the ability to work within a mission parameter, but also come up with things on the fly. And so he's up on the top of this hill. He sees them and a question comes to him and he says, the answer suddenly came to him in the form of a question. What would rap do? I, I like that. It's like a form yes. of what would, what would Jesus do? What would rap do? Yes. What would rap do? And he says, the answer was obvious. The solution was less than perfect, but under the current situation, the best, the best choice and obviously that choice is to split up and follow the the family so that way they always have eyes on but yeah i just love that in um you know even coleman really respects rap and knows thinks about like whatever he would do is the right course to do yep and coleman makes the call you know this is one of those scenes where we're really inside of his head and he makes the call to split the team he and Wicker are going to pursue General Morrow and try to complete the mission as planned. And they know they hear that Rap is coming in. So Rap is about to be on the ground with them. They have to make it to the checkpoint, have eyes on General Morrow, and know where he is in camp. But he sends Hackett and Strobel to trail the Andersons. And so he's taking a gamble. Rap could ream him out for this. Rap could not think it's the best move. Rap could see something or anticipate something that Coleman isn't, but Coleman makes the decision to split the team. And it turns out to be the right one um, because Wicker is able to set up. Uh, his sniping skills are going to come into play. He can, Oh, did you catch this? You know how he identifies General Morrow's tent? They keep saying it a bunch of times. Oh, it had a label with General Moro on the, the flap or something like that, yeah. He put his fucking name on the door. The name tag, <laughs> and like, the door tag. And and like all of them say it. Like Wicker at one point, Coleman's like, how do you know he's in there? And Wicker's like, has his name on the door. Coleman's like, is he an idiot? And then Rap and comes then in Rap and like, like, Rap's like, did you notice he has his name on the door? <laughs> Didn't we train yeah. him not to do that? This well, whole, that's like... Mm-hmm. Th- this whole scene we're going to get into where you know Rap is now at Moro's camp. He's in the tent. They're talking. Rap is sort of, you know, playing this. Oh, we're gonna. We know what you're doing. We're gonna bring you under the payroll. You know, sort of BS line to him. Uh, meanwhile, Coleman and Wicker in team were supposed to make it to the summit before the sun came up, or, or before yeah. you know, by a certain point, they've been hindered. Th- this whole scene where we're cutting back and forth between the two of them. I would really love to see in yeah. in the form of film, like it yeah. plays for great uh, visual, visually um, suspenseful. Yeah. Um, 
and you know we finally in so the fact that where like rap is going into his pocket to pick out his gun but then the the phone rings to stop him from doing that uh, you know yep and the I phone like is it was a coleman who's telling him we are in place we're a little right. late but now rap's got backup and it was literally as rap was about to draw his gun and you know that would have caused a shitstorm, right because he's surrounded by the filipino soldiers and the army he's in camp alone he's cutting a deal with morrow or morrow thinks he's cutting a deal with him but um before rap has to take care of business on his own and i have no idea how he'd get out of there right uh coleman radios that they're in position they can go back to the mission as planned and that's when you know wicker takes a shot so rap doesn't draw his gun has no tells shakes hands with morrow is walking out and as soon as he walks out the door a General Moro is very excited, thinking he got a deal. He's playing the Americans. The Americans aren't on to him yet. They're not going to spill his secrets. Walks out of the tent, and Wick takes the shot. Oh. So this, all of this was sort of building up to, you know, I thought this was kind of interesting how this, the, I thought the death of General Moro was going to take much farther, was going to not happen so quickly. Um, yeah. They just, boom get it you know have some suspense along the way get it done in the aftermath of the shoot of the you know the shooting rap is able to get away um he's now aboard the uss bella wood and so the philippine army is trying to figure out what the hell went on you know what's going on they're going to use this whole assassination of general moro you know while rap's there and the army is there now the let's get the filipino government to come together and let's really go after abu sayyaf Let's get the Anderson family. Um, so they're using this guise of creating this tension to actually get the job done. Yeah. Um, and Rap makes, you know, he's it makes his fatal flaw here, which is going to lead yeah. to huge c- contention in the second half of this book, where you know, the smart play would be to stay on the boat uh, and not you know go into the or the smarter you know that that would be the super smart play you know it the second smart play is to you know sort of wait up while he watches the men go in um but rap is not safe you know yeah well that's what kennedy thinks he's doing too kennedy back at the white house actually informs the president hey we took care of general morrow mission was a success but we got kind of lucky you know, a couple of the SEALs are tracking the Anderson family. And there, there's this interesting back and forth of like, the Anderson family, we didn't expect to get them. And and Kennedy is like, we know exactly where they are. And a couple of people, I think, I forget who it was in the White House, but they're like, you know exactly where they are? And Kennedy's like, exactly where they are. Like Hackett and Strobel have the, the coordinates. They're tracking them perfectly. And everyone at the White House is kind of stunned. Even the president's like, we know exactly where the hostages are. Like that's a big win for Kennedy. She's never had intel that strong or specific to be able to pass on to the president. So it seems like no problem. Raps on the ship directing things. She's got a point person there. Coleman and team are on the ground. They can take care of business. And this force from the USS Bella Wood is coming in for backup. I think Rap says there's going to be like an extra 20 or 30 shooters to back up Coleman and the team when they go to snatch the the Anderson family. So what can go wrong? Well, raps. um, I don't know. How would you put it? uh, Irresponsibility. His irresponsibility. Irresponsibility. That's the theme. And uh, Anna would definitely categorize it as irresponsibility. 
and being a jackass. He just can't keep out. And there's part of the reason is like, if we don't take care of this mission right now, Abu Sayyaf will be scared off and we'll never find them. And then another one is the Filipino generals just miles away. The new colonel who took over after Morrow is going to go gung-ho lights out. He's going to send everybody out to go just obliterate Abu Sayyaf. And so if they indiscriminately invade this camp, they're not going to take note of the Andersons. Right. So Rapp's got to kind of get there to keep the mission going on pace before the rest of the Filipino army can destroy the camp because they're pissed off about losing Morrow. So well, he, Rapp makes the call to go in. And he even says that he's the best man for the job. He's a little cocky exactly. there. You know, he, but he's cocky. the best. He's like, he's the best man for yeah. the job. Yeah. There's that nice scene where he's on the boat um, and he's doing the fire practice and yep. he's like, I made the decision. I'm I'm going in. I'm I, I gotta yeah. I gotta go in and lead the team. Yeah. I mean, did did he really though? So he gets in. He <clears throat> he meets up with Coleman. They discuss the situation. You know, they're looking at the the lay of the land, and they know the weather's getting worse. Like, we got to make a move now. And they're all set up, and almost everything seems perfect. And Rap's like, I'm gonna go in first. And like his only reason for going in is to sneak under the tent, lift a flap. And so they can know exactly where the Anderson uh, family is inside the tent, which I guess makes sense because if uh, firing breaks out, knowing which corner in the tent the family is can really help you take out the enemy while not hitting the family. So Rap really wants to confirm. He thinks they're in the like the back left corner, let's say. Well, he picks up this tent flap and he sees your feet that are completely you know mangled and bitten um, and they're white. And so he knows the Andersons are here. He looks up a little higher. He really wants to confirm things. And that's when he sees two eyes. And another another really good cliffhanger of like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, who saw him? Yeah. Um, turns out it was the girl. One of the girl in the family. But she freaks out. She screams. And, you know, let the firing begin. So shots go off. Rap kills a bunch of guys on the ground, you know, shooting through this tent flap. Everyone else starts shooting. Um, and is this the first time, if you go in publication order, is this the first time we see Rap get shot? He takes a bullet in the ass. I think so. I think little, it is. Uh, a nod to Forrest Gump. But that chapter where he, <laughs> he like gets hit, and then he's just like, I'm just going to lie here. Like, yeah. it, was, it was a nice cliffhanger, but then it was quickly followed up with the fact that, oh, he just got shot in the ass. Like, it wasn't, you know, super... Um, you know, where else? Where else has he gotten shot? So there's a description. Oh, he got earlier. shot in. Um, he got shot in total mm -hmm. power. But yeah, no, this is the first time. Yeah, yeah. And there's a description earlier about his body. Where was it? Um, I think it's Anna from the honeymoon. She's noticing his physical features, and he had three visible bullet scars: one on his leg, two on his stomach. There was a, there was a fourth that was covered by a thick scar on his shoulder, where the doctors have torn him open. Uh, to get at the bullet and reconstruct his sh shoulder socket. He had the knife scar on his right side. And then, as Vince writes, one last scar he was particularly proud of. A constant reminder of the man he had sworn he would kill when he started on this crazy journey into the world of counterterrorism. And that scar, as we know, runs from his ear to his jawline on the left side of his face. The uh, scar from Aziz. So yeah. we get that description. He's got at least four bullets or bullet wounds already. Now add this one. But yeah, so that's that's the Filipino storyline where we're going to cut off at.
Um, yeah. And I like the action. You know, that last scene where we you cut from Mitch seeing the eyes to then you cut to Coleman is watching Mitch. Yep. And he's like, oh, he's just going to go in, sneak a peek. And then, like, all hell breaks, breaks loose and, you know, their men have to go in. And, like, I, the, those scenes were really good. They were very riveting. Yep. Um, and, again, you mentioned the use of uh, cliffhangers throughout this this part were really engaging and kept you reading and, and wanted to keep listening. Um, but, yeah, like, meanwhile, the whole time this is going on, uh, we have this other storyline that has yet to even cross paths. I think in the very next chapter where we're going to cut off from, we finally get the the two sides begin to meet but the other um storyline that's going on is what's happening with our guy david and we first meet him where he is having a meeting with a, this fancy prince in the mediterranean uh prince omar who's from the saudi arabia and they meet and discuss and they talk about money and david has this whole plan um that Omar is funding and, and how we don't understand the full plan of, of what David is going to do, but he has a plan to destroy Israel and you know, ultimately bring about a, a Palestinian state. Uh, one interesting uh, thing we got here also, well, this will become important later um, is we meet Alan who is a British field officer and he's been tasked by uh, Britain to tail people who are part of the house of Saud and he's you know, following, been following this prince, is very friendly with their staff, the, the boat staff, and he meets, or he, during this meeting, he overhears portions of the meeting, and he's very intrigued by it. So that, that little snippet, very early on, um, that eventually doesn't pay off until you know, the second half of the book. Yeah, this David storyline is really going to carry the rest of the book. We kind of midway through we'll do a 180 and the philippines storyline will wrap up and then this david character and his various machinations will will carry the plot forward so yeah he's being funded by omar he's meeting this prince and then he goes off and he meets with an iraqi general hamza and i feel like this is where things get a little murky like we obviously know david is a palestinian He's doing something where he's in with the Israelis. He's talking to Friedman of Mossad. But at the same time, he's really trying to fight for Palestinian statehood. And so with this Iraqi general, he knows he's going to kill him. But when he gets there in this hotel, he sees him with a young girl. And very often the case in these books, Vince is getting onto something real that these very pious radicalized fundamentalists, instead of following the fundamental part of their religion, which which would be about peace, uh, would be about justice, instead, they're all secretly perverts, right? And taking liberties with, with young women. And she's like, I don't even think a teenager, right? Um, this girl. And that's when David decides, this guy's not going to have a clean death anymore. This Iraqi general is going down. And I don't even know what he's there for. Something about money. Like, I don't know, Chris. Were you able to keep up with David and what he's doing? All I know is he brutally kills this guy. It's pretty awesome. But did it really add much? Well, I guess while we're getting the main the main part of the first half of the book is obviously the Philippine story. But we're getting little yeah. every bits and, you know, maybe every other chapter, every two chapters. We, we learn a little bit more about David. And it's slowly building us to what, you know, like you said, the second half of the book is really going to be about. 
But yeah, no, at times it was hard to, you know, when you're cutting back to this and then you come back and then, I don't know. We'll talk about this in a second in our winners and losers, but, you know, I think that really just detracted from the book, the yeah. whole jumping back and forth thing. Um, yeah. I would have rather had, I don't know, I, maybe people like that, but I, I don't. And I sure. think it, it happens a lot in these earlier books, um, but most of the time they're more connected, the jumping back and forth, so it it's not as, yeah. I don't know, stark. But here... You're you're really racking your brain. You're like, what? How is this? How is this going to play? Because you know, we're over in the Philippines, we're thinking about that. You know, the, what is he doing? Like now we're bringing in yeah. Saudi Arabia. We, he wants to bring about a Palestinian state. Like I was, it was. It he was goes to this Iraqi general. Yeah, I mean, at he, least along the way, as all this is happening, I think maybe the purpose was to get to know his backstory. No, definitely. So, like, we are learning as about he's. That. Yeah, as he's about to kill this Iraqi general, which, by the way, you know, he cuts his tongue off, cuts his mouth open, cuts his dick off, shoves it into his mouth, leaves him in the hotel room to bleed out, you know, typical terrorist stuff. But um, and he decides to take the girl. So he wants to help her. He actually he doesn't want to just leave her there traumatized. So he's like, later, I'll deal with her, but I'm going to bring her. So she actually has some sense of she can get some sense of help because he knows being Palestinian, he knows the stigma. If she were to be recovered by the authorities if there were formal reports um, about what happened to her, he knows her whole life would be kind of ruined because the, the stigmas in a lot of Arab societies. And so he decides to take her and he's kind of like, I'll try to help her later. So it's it's kind of seeing the side of David who's not just 100% our big bad. Right? You, you've coined that term, our big bad. This very, very um, hardline, evil, straight up evil person who's pulling all the strings well, David here, we see this positive side of him. He actually wants to help out the victim. He brutally kills Hamza to make a point. Hamza shouldn't have been with this girl. And we get some backstory that David's mother, actually, who is Palestinian, did raise him to at least have a balanced, if not somewhat neutral, but more balanced view of the conflict. I, I was struck by this one scene where his mother would take him as a child to the Palestinian camps so he can obviously see the plight of the people, right? Mm-hmm. And the squalor that they have to live in and how they're mm-hmm. treated as, you know, not equals to the Jews. But she asked him, think about the other side. And she taught him the history of how as soon as the state of Israel was created, five Arab countries conspired to invade them right away. And their goal was to destroy them. Now, of course, they lost that war and Israel would defend itself on numerous occasions. But it taught David just to see maybe Israel wasn't always the aggressor from the beginning. And it taught David, she asked, do you think if we had won the war back in 48 and defeated the Israelis right off the get-go, do you think we would have allowed the Jews to keep their land? Do you think we would have treated them as equal citizens, giving them full participation in our country? And so it taught David just to have a more balanced view of the Palestinians would have never have done that to the Jews. And so the Jews won the war, and now they're mistreating Palestinians. He at least can see kind of both sides. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier in in our theme sections this idea of you know the relationships that people have and the belief in a cause. And you know, yep. Mitch obviously has this whole belief in you know, combating terrorism and and being the point man and, and whatever. But David really highlights that in terms of the belief of his cause to bring about a Palestinian state. But he has like a nuanced belief, and and I actually find myself actually kind of liking David as a character. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and he like we're gonna get to this in a minute when, but right right after the he sees what Ben Friedman has done, and he sees like um uh, you know in blowing up uh you know this whole city block, and he sees a um a woman who's holding like something small, yeah. and he's like, how could you do this? And he he like is way more attuned to obviously he's very brutal he brutally kills uh this general he is conspiring to kill like the leader of hamas who yeah but all of it is a goal to bring about peace um a very interesting way to bring about peace um but yeah i actually really liked i don't know if it's bad to say but i really like david as a character Ja, or Jab, Jabril Katabi, as we learned his real name is. But. His real name, right? His Palestinian name. I, I don't disagree. And if we analyze that scene you just mentioned in Hebron, which is a Palestinian territory of the West Bank, which the Israelis are very careful, you know, if they ever have to come in for an investigation or uh, any sort of military maneuvers, they, they have to be very aware. You know, like Ramallah is completely Palestinian. Hebron is kind of, it's, it's kind of this more... Uh, scattered not really sure who's in charge but definitely a palestinian stronghold well they send david in to this high level meeting of hamas groups and and other palestinian um extremists the the actual leaders of the terrorists and the intelligence in Mossad is like there's no way all these people can be in one place and david's like nope they will be and i'm letting you know this because i want peace and if they're dead we have a much easier path to peace and so David, a, a pro-Palestinian um, freedom fighter, if you will, is willing to carry two suitcases loaded with explosives to this meeting of high up Hamas and other uh, personnel in the Palestinian cause. He actually detonates it and blows up the house of all of them. A split second that happens, he knows Ben Friedman turned on him. Ben Friedman decides to launch, what is it, like 13 uh, Stinger missiles? Um, no, Stinger surface to air. What were the missiles they keep referencing here? They're from the Longbow Apache helicopters, right? Yeah, the Longbow helicopters that the Americans sold them. So yes. the Americans sold them the helicopters and the missiles. Ben Friedman decides to just go nuts and say, we got to make sure every one of them is dead. And so his hands are clean. He wants David dead as well. They just detonate. Uh, they just release from these helicopters a slew of missiles, takes out the whole area, of which there are going to be civilian casualties because this meeting was in a residential neighborhood. And so David survives it, but he's like, what the hell, Ben? I was working with you for a long-term goal of peace by taking out these guys, and you turned on me and you killed a bunch of Palestinians. And thinking of the distrust and the relationships, this is really going to affect Ben and Irene's relationship as well in a huge way. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, we again here, we're seeing Ben Friedman being very distrustful, very irresponsible. Why he's like, why he's not locked up already? Like, he was literally conspiring with Senator Hank Clark to bring down the president, like, or, you know, or to bring about Irene's, yeah, to bring down the president because he wanted to have Hank Clark become president. Um, yeah. Why he's not in jail? I don't know. Like, that, to me, that, that whole. The fact that he's still a player is crazy. Well, I well Irene and Mitch let him go, thinking he's in our back pocket, right? He's gonna have to obviously not if he's gonna pull shit like this. But he's not because he's that's how he screws up and bungles his relationship with Irene. Because Irene on the phone says, "I'll give you one last chance. Come clean. Were you really trying to bomb 
a Palestinian bomb-making factory? Because he says, the Palestinians were making bombs. We didn't know it would go off. We didn't know it would ignite an explosion of a few city blocks. And Irene's like, we have no intelligence or evidence pointing to a bomb-making factory. And she goes, one last time, Ben, tell me the truth. Did you knowingly blow up a residential Palestinian village? He says, no, they were keeping bombs there. And then Irene pulls the trump card and goes, well, then why do we have video from satellites of American-made helicopters that we sold to you launching these 16 cruise missiles right. into residential homes? And that's when Ben's like, fuck, I li- I overplayed my hand. I lied to Irene again. Yeah, he's the ultimate player of disrupt, distrust and uh, irresponsibility in, yeah. in this whole entire book, so... Would would you so I'm just trying to put my finger on, and this is for next episode as we wrap up here. Is he the big bad? Is there a big bad? I mean, I don't know in this book who the villain is. It's hard to say. I guess we can finalize it next next episode. But yeah, sure. I, this book kind of lacks a, a big bad. I guess David is supposed to be the big bad, um, and Moro, you know, in the beginning is supposed to be the big bad, but he dies like twenty chapters in. You know, yeah, this or maybe Omar, the Saudi, the brother of the crown prince who's funding all this and living just a hedonistic life. I, I guess know. he's supposed to be a big bad too. I don't know. Like, it, yeah, it's very dispersed. The, there's a lot of like little little villains as opposed to like a big villain, like like a Hank Clark or like you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's going to be a good discussion for when we wrap up the book. The, the last storyline, and maybe we save this for next time, is Irene and Anna talking about relationships. Some real important developments happen between a pissed off Anna who learns that her husband was not just um, overseeing the mission from the safety of a U.S. Navy ship. He put himself into the ground and now thinking Irene lied to her because there's this conversation at a White House party where Irene really really lays into Anna what do you think about that conversation I mean it would have been great if rap hadn't fucked it up for Irene and right you know like Irene's like because that is literally what Irene believes is going on you know rap's supposed to be yeah. either sitting on the boat or it, definitely not peeking I'm just gonna sneak a peek um which a lot allows him to get shot in the ass um but yeah no I mean the president even says like you need to talk to Anna, and Jack Ward even says you need to talk yep. to Anna. She keeps she keeps asking me about about That's Mitch, right. and if this relationship is going to work, I think in the very beginning, Rap says you know I'm going to have to give you information, but you're going to have to not, you can't ask me about things. And she yep. she immediately also acts irresponsibly by, you know, going up to the president and being like, "What's my husband doing?" And it's like you can't you can't do that. You know, yeah, and I, I thought that Kennedy's sort of standing her ground here, and we don't, you know, we haven't really seen Anna and 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 Irene interact, um, but you know, Irene is standing her ground. Listen, he, your husband's safe. You can't be acting like this. Have a, have a martini, and it'll be fine. Yep. You know, we always get that crew of people who absolutely despise Anna. Really, this book makes me join that crew. <laughs> okay. I was I was gracious to her in separation of power. I thought her arguments were legit. She was with her husband on vacation. He went away. He was with some secret spy woman, brings her home. Uh, Anna going off. Um, okay, I'm all right with it. But here, she thinks she can have the balls to go up to Kennedy and the president and demand answers. 
you know, to her husband's whereabouts. That was part of the deal. Um, so I just want to read this quote where Kennedy is literally um, going to play Anna here and get her to calm down, but also put her in her place. So Vince writes, quote, Kennedy literally never lost her temper, but this pushy reporter was begging to be put in her place. Where this lack of emotional control originated from, she wasn't exactly sure, but she could hazard a guess. It lay somewhere in the belief that Mitch deserved better. In a chilly tone, she asked, Do you have any respect whatsoever for your husband? Of course I respect him, snapped Anna. Then why do you put him at risk by walking around like a put-off high school homecoming queen? Anna bristled at the comment. Don't condescend to me, Irene. This is my husband we're talking about. Exactly. Kennedy moved in closer. And if you really cared about him, you'd stop asking people where he is. You'd remember that he's very good at what he does, and you'd honor him by keeping your mouth shut. Boom. She lays the smack down. No, she's got lays to. Lays the smack down. Anna's acting irresponsible here. And I, yeah, there, there are people that really don't like Anna Riley, and, and maybe that's why she's not long in the, in this universe. Uh, it's only two books yeah. until Consent to Kill, so... <laughs> Ooh, spoiler. Yeah, that's a big one. A little spoiler alert there, but she's not long in this universe. <laughs> Might want to cut that. <laughs> no, but Kennedy, I mean, okay, Kennedy changes tone, though. She plays bad cop, but now she plays good cop. She goes, okay, I'll tell you something. He's on a ship. He's safe. He won't get involved, but he's doing something very important. You want to go have a drink with me? And then her and Anna kind of hang out and become a little more buddy-buddy. So Anna, Anna needed that tough love. But that's going to carry over um, because, as we know, Rap is not safe on a ship. He puts himself – he also acts irresponsible. One of the few times I think – well, Rap is very irresponsible, but he's usually irresponsible in a way we can get behind. Yeah, no, I think. but this I can't get behind. Yeah. I really can't get behind. He didn't need to look under that tent flap. He could have trusted you know, Wick and Hackett and Strobel and, and Coleman and crew. He could have let them do the mission. He knows they're awesome at what they do. Yes, he's a cut above. But they could have handled the mission and they could have pulled it off. He didn't need to look under the tent flap and get himself shot in the ass. <laughs> yeah. Part of me so. thinks that, I mean, I think we were t- discussing this and, you know, well, let's just get right into our winners and losers. So, yeah, one of the big losers for me is the the dual narratives we get here. And I was wondering, like, what is what is even the purpose of the Philippines storyline? And is it literally just to have this conflict come up? Like, the whole point of it is like, oh, how do I get Anna and Mitch mad at each other? Well, let me have this honeymoon scene, then have him immediately leave, go on this expedition, say he's not going to take a big part in it, lie, and then get shot. Like, is that the whole point of the Philippines? That that's the whole reason why we go there? Yeah, I mean, and the bad thing is, it's the best part of the book. It's like my favorite action scene, seeing them in the jungle, you know, um, taking out this general, saving the family. It could be the coolest action sequence. And then you realize you read another 10 chapters and it wasn't brought up. And then you read the last 20, 30 chapters. And then you get to the end of the book and you're like, it was so awesome. But I don't know if it ended up playing any deeper role to the storyline, which I guess we'll get into more um, next time. So. Did we need to murky the waters and have that mixed in with the David and the Israel-Palestine conflict? 
because that's going to carry the rest of the narrative. It was almost, again, like we said last time, two separate books where I actually liked the first half more because this had a ton of action. But we'll get there. Uh, but I feel like there's enough meat to have two books here. Like you could have an entire sure. book about David and the Palestine, Palestine and, and the whole Israeli thing. And then you could have another book where you fleshed out the Philippine story more, you know? Yeah. Maybe you don't yeah. kill Moro right off the bat or like, I don't know. But anyways, that, that was the, yeah. for me in the first half of the book, the biggest loser. Second biggest loser is Anna acting like, you know, <laughs> she's on crack. Um, and then third would have to be Mitch <laughs> acting like a dumbass and getting himself, you know, put in that situation. Typical husband, you know, says one thing and then does an opposite. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. It's my might be one of the few times we ever have rap in the loser category of our winner's <laughs> loser section. <laughs> All right, so who are you? As your long winners? as Anna's there with him, because Anna's got to be in the loser ca- you know, category with her. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Winners. Um, I think definitely Irene. She's playing, she's pulling strings um, in ways that aren't very overt, you know, at first or in your face. But then we see why is she quiet during this meeting? Um, or then we see why is she going to Anna and why is she going to sp- strike up this conversation? And again, Irene is a winner kind of behind the scenes. This is one of the more Irene forward books, I would say. Um, not just the first half. We're going to see that next time in the second half as well. So I would say she's already a winner off the bat. And I think this was a winner for anyone who wants to see the action, who wants yeah. to see the guys on the ground thinking about the mission, adjusting and just the writing and and the cliffhangers we've been saying. So we mentioned it before how there were some really good cliffhangers at the end of chapters. It was in an, another interview, I believe it was David of Atria Books, you know, the publishing uh, group. I think he said, right now, you would put Brad Thor at the top of the game in terms of those cliffhangers. Or you know what? It was it was um it was Ryan Steck. It was the real book spy in one of his interviews. I think with the crew reviews guys, he was saying Brad Thor's at the top of his game with those quick cliffhangers. You don't need to make a major cliffhanger where the whole story, you know, like somebody's going to die cliffhanger. You just need a little small. They didn't even know the mission was compromised. End. you know, or another one like Charlie Wicker setting up and Coleman's trailing behind him. And he's like, there was an important sign on the tent in the front door. You know, it's like, well, what's that sign about? What does it say? Who's in there? Uh, just these little cliffhangers have a lot of punch and he pulled it off. Vince pulled it off. Right. Or the, the fact that like, you know, Mitch sees those eyes, like exactly well, whose eye, yeah. whose eyes is it? Oh yeah. Mitch gets shot. And he's like, I'm just going to lay down. And it, these little things, is he that going keep, out? Is he going out? Keep, keep you, you know, boom, I got to read the next chapter and then boom, I got to read the next chapter. And it's a great way yep. to just force, force the reader to not, if most of these people who read these books, like myself, you know, keep yep. consuming it. But yeah, it's a great way to do that. Yeah, you're right. This book, my winner is definitely the action. Uh, we start off the book right with an action scene. We not only get action from the David plot line where he's, you know, he kills the general, he um, blows up the meeting, but we get the action, you know, from Mitch and his company and uh, Wicker and Coleman. So I, I really enjoyed that. And yeah, I, I was also going to bring that up. I like the fact that we see more of Irene. In the past couple books, we haven't seen her that much. Um, She's played like, you know, she's been back stateside or, um, you know, been working with the president and working with her people, 
we get her in a few chapters, but yeah, this was a very Irene centric book and I liked it. I think yep. we're going to begin to see more and more of Irene in the next couple books. Um, so I'm excited for that. Yes, absolutely. Nice. Well, that's the first half up to chapter 40. So Chris, can you tell us what are we going to be doing next week on the podcast? Right. All right. So we're going to finish this book, Executive Power, from chapter 41 to the end. Uh, we'll be doing our final wrap up, uh, rating. Um, we'll do our book covers as we always do and our zero sum yes. game questions. Um, so, yeah, look out for that next week. Um, again, we always want to thank our patrons, including our special operator, Sherry F., and our special agents, uh, Matt, Don, Dennis, Roman, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, and Jeff. And we can't say this enough, but please subscribe, rate, and review us. If you're digging what you're, if you like what you hear, please give us a rate, give us a review. Um, we love to hear back from you. Um, and if you don't, then don't, don't do it. Uh, <laughs> you can find us online at MitchRapPod.com or using our handle at MitchRapPod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Gorilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.